And today, during the um, one of the uh, group interviews, uh, conversations with um, some uh, some of you, there was a discussion about the uh, the nature of rebirth, and so I thought I might uh, talk about that a little bit this evening. Um, in, common everyday discussions, or at least everyday discussions in Buddhist monasteries. <laughs> and if we talk about uh, rebirth, then oftentimes, uh, usually people think of that in in respect of uh, past lives, future lives, and um, more in a, uh, what you could call a metaphysical way, you know, beyond the uh, the scope of our everyday vision, our everyday perceptions. And uh, that's uh, understandable. Uh, and, um, and yet, um, when the the term rebirth or the the cycle of uh, birth and death is referred to, the Bhava Chaka in the suttas, um, in the scriptures, it's uh, it's not always referring to uh, a sequence of events over. A number of lifetimes that so the Buddha very matter-of-factly refers to uh, past lives, future lives, um, in uh, many many instances throughout the the teachings. That's a very uh, common way of speaking. But when uh, talking about the 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 process of of rebirth and what causes it and how it's brought to an end, um, particularly the the teachings of what is called dependent origination, Paticca Samuppada. Um, the uh, the majority of times that the the Buddha speaks of that in the in the suttas, uh, he is referring to more of a, a moment to moment experience. Um, the the commentaries, the later discussions or explanations about the Buddha's teaching, the there's um, the Paticca Samuppada, dependent origination, is spoken about in more uh, as referring to. Uh, the process of rebirth over different lifetimes, and uh, uh, and yet, so there's a majority of those. So one uh, famous Thai uh, philosopher, monk, scholar, monk, uh, uh, Tanjokun Payuto, he actually sort of did the calculations on this. <laughs> Went through all of the commentaries and all of the suttas and looked at all the instances where dependent origination was talked about, and the figure he came up with was that uh, in the commentaries. Um, yeah, two thirds of the references to dependent origination refer to um, many lifetimes, and uh, one third refer to the momentary experience of um, of uh, d- dependent origination. And in the suttas, it's the opposite way around. So two thirds of the references to dependent origination and, ca- and causality refer to it as a momentary experience. Uh, uh, a process that's uh, witnessed in the here and now in this lifetime, and only a third refer to um, the uh, experience or describing a pattern that uh, crosses uh, a number of lifetimes, past, present, and future. And in particular, uh, 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 the um, in the current age uh, in Thailand. Uh, uh, Ajahn Buddhadasa was a very prominent uh, writer and thinker, teacher. Uh, he emphasized the fact that uh, 
the teachings on dependent origination, the, the way that it's really useful to us is is uh, to understand it and to use it to apply it to our everyday life, to our to our moment by moment experience. Because you know, the the Buddha's teaching is essentially practical, and so um, the uh, pointing to the use of this teaching and how it can help us here in this lifetime is much more pertinent than talking about its relevance in past lives or, or future lives. So if you can follow the, the reasoning of that. So he, he just uh, uh, confined his discussions and descriptions uh, about that to the, to the understanding of dependent origination, how it describes the arising of dukkha uh, here, here and now, how that uh, comes into, into being uh, here and now. And this was very much a, uh, an approach that uh, Ajahn Chah also followed. And um, uh, he was very... Uh, impressed and um, say uh, uh, his understanding was very much in accord with Ajahn Buddha Dasa as well so that, that this was usually the way that, that uh, Lumpo Cha talked about dependent origination and how um, our experience uh, of the sense world uh, gives rise to the feelings of alienation and dissatisfaction and, and discontent and so forth and uh, one of his, in one of his most um, well-known analogies, he said, uh, uh, trying to keep track of the, the 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 process of dependent origination, which is usually described as a, a sequence of of twelve different segments. He said it's like falling out of a tree and counting the branches on the way down. So, if you want to to keep track of all the different elements of of dependent origination, this is. Uh, if you try and keep uh, keep track of all the all the the different links, uh, they they happen so fast. It's like falling out of a tree and, and counting the branches on the way down. This is uh, basically you know it's it's happening too quick to to be able to track it all. But one thing you know is thump, ow, that hurt. <laughs> so you know you hit the ground and you know it hurts. So he's a very practical teacher, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, that's a graphic image that uh, I think is very helpful. So also the these teachings are dependent origination. They are um, involved and intricate, and uh, and so I wouldn't try to cover the whole subject just within the, the space of one evening. Uh, in a, another famous instance in the the Mahanidana Sutta, at the beginning of this discourse on on it on causality. It starts off with with Venerable Ananda coming to the Buddha and saying, "Yeah, dependent origination. Yeah, this is uh, this is really important. I, you know, I really understand it. I really, I really got it now. This is really great. It's as clear as clear can be to me." And as the Buddha usually does in these instances, he says, "Not so, Ananda." <laughs> he does that a lot. Not so, Ananda. Not so. You know, you shouldn't say that dependent origination is as clear as clear can be to you because this is profound subtle deep abstruse you know this is not something easily understood and so you know you're you're an intelligent person ananda but um don't don't say that you understand it it's as clear as clear, clear can be you know? don't be too glib about it there's there's a a lot of uh, of uh, layers and subtleties there that uh, that you might not yet understand So, in brief, uh, what it's describing is how, um, when uh, when there is a lack of mindfulness, or when, we're, when the mind is not aware, then how 
our experience uh, then leads to dissatisfaction, how it is that dukkha arises. Um, so that the the first element, the first link of the of the whole sequence is that of avijja, ignorance, not seeing clearly, nescience. So that means that when the when we're not when we don't see clearly, then that's the the trigger. That what uh, is the basic the root cause of of suffering is is avijja, not seeing clearly. So if there's vijja, if there's knowing, if there's awareness, then suffering uh, doesn't arise. There might be pain. <laughs> But uh, you know the, the dukkha, the, that uh, you know, anguish and distress, dissatisfaction will, will not be caused. So that, uh, so that, um, but once avijja is there, then that uh, leads to the um, the fundamental say um, uh, delusion of subject and object, avijja, pachaya, sankara, de, uh, ignorance, conditions, formations. Or as uh, Lumpur Sumedha used to um, summarize this very succinctly, he said uh, his translation for avijja, pachaya, sankara was that ignorance complicates everything. Uh, sankara means that which is compounded, it means um, uh, the, the, say, that which is formed. And so you can see this as when when there is ignorance, when the mind doesn't see clearly, then this uh, creates the, the 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 root or the 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 the, um, the foundation for the subject-object division, and then that that strengthens um, in uh, the next stages of of the uh, the sequence, uh, sankara. Pachaya, Vijnana, so formations condition consciousness, consciousness conditions Namarupa, body and mind. And uh, uh, again, this, these are uh, say subtle qualities and you can spend weeks and weeks, months, years uh, considering how this all works. Um, so I'm quite deliberately skimming over it. I know uh, one eminent monk in Thailand actually has done two PhDs on dependent origination. <laughs> I'm sure he... he Realizes he hasn't exhausted the subject yet, but it's uh, it's great PhD material. <laughs> so, uh, but basically, what was what uh, one uh, one very uh, wonderful uh, Sri Lankan monk, uh, Bhikkhu Nyanananda, he calls this the Namarupa Vinyana Vortex. So, what you you can uh, so uh, uh, create a mental image of this. So, once there's ignorance, then there's the seed for for subject object duality that are here and are there and that like a vortex like a a whirlpool that that, that kind of gets stronger and stronger um until the, that conditions the uh the world of the senses so um the salayatin of the six senses uh, are um conditioned by that uh, that uh, separation between um, subject and object, uh, the the knowing and the known, and um, then that conditions the six senses. And so then, as there is seeing and hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching, then that um, uh, when that's uh, say experienced uh, on the basis of ignorance, then there's a me here who's who's seeing a thing out there. There's a me here who's who's hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Uh, thinking, there's a uh, a subject here and an object there, and the the uh, attachment to the senses kind of strengthen that that duality. Um, and then, when there's sense contact, pasa, then 
that leads to feeling, uh, pleasant feeling, painful feeling, or neutral feeling. So when there is a see, when something is seen or something heard, smelt, tasted, touched, and so on, then the in this particular pattern that the Buddha is describing is that um, the, there's a primary reaction, a primary uh, effect of sense contact when the, they, when the, one of the sense organs contacts an object when there is pasa and then the, there's a, a, an effect from that sense contact then there's a, a, a raw feeling of pleasantness, uh, painfulness or, or neutral feeling and then when there is um, when there's feeling, whether it's pleasant or painful or, or neutral, then that conditions craving. So if it's a pleasant feeling, then that conditions craving, uh, tanha. So vedana, pachaya, tanha, yeah, craving, uh, arises from that. So if it's a pleasant feeling, then it, um, based on ignorance, then there's a desire for more of it. And then, or if it's an unpleasant feeling, then it's a desire to get get away from it. And then uh, neutral feeling is is uh, taken as a subtle, a subtle kind of pleasant feeling, and so that the the uh, the mind inclines towards also uh, desire for that, and then um, craving tanha then rapidly uh, escalates uh, again if if that's not seen clearly then uh, craving conditions clinging upadana, and then clinging conditions becoming you know of that was going on and on about yesterday evening bhava, so. Uh, that uh, in a way, what you can see is like a arriving, a rising wave of uh, of absorption. So first of all, there's a a uh, say a pleasant feeling, and then the the mind is uh, uh, say, oh, what's that? And then oh, I, I, I'd like one of those. And so maybe you can translate yourself into the dining room, okay? Just so this isn't too theoretical. So that there you are in the dining room, and you are. Uh, standing in the queue, and uh, you are trying uh, to be mindful and not count. <laughs> yeah, how many uh, slices of cake there are left? Or, yeah, oh. I mean, I know there were three cakes the other day, so there was plenty to go around for everybody. But still, the um, uh, that uh, that kind of um, sense object that can be appealing for uh, the um, the hungry mind that's kind of there in the in the queue, that is, you're trying to be mindful and restrained, and you go, hmm, there's only three slices left. There's five people in front of me. Hmm, and is he a cake kind of a guy? Is he a cake kind of a person? I'm sure now. He, he looks like he, he's probably on a diet. Yeah, I hope he's not. Maybe he's not. <laughs> so that the mind sees an object, and then there's the. Uh, then there's the the craving, and then craving leads to clinging. Like I, you know, I really, I really deserve a piece of cake. <laughs> I really need to have a piece of cake. And then that clinging conditions becoming like I got it, I got it. And if he takes that, if he takes that last piece of cake, you know, I'm, I, I know there's that first precept, but you know, but, <laughs> but you know, the, yeah. And so that the. Uh, the mind absorbs into that until getting that cake becomes the only important thing in the world. That's suddenly that the, the whole universe has shrunk. So that tanha upadana bhava, craving, uh, craving, clinging, becoming. It's like the the world narrows to that desire object. I gotta have it. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta. And everything else is put aside. And so bhava is that 
the quality of the the mind sort of committed to, to to getting its desire object. There's everything else has been put aside, and it's the it's the the kind of uh, thrill of riding the wave, and then the when you see that person in that in the in the food queue, and they've they've passed by, and you you realize, yes, he is on a diet. <laughs> I'm going to get it, and so that uh, bhava is that that thrill of of sort of guaranteed um, getting acquisition. And it's is interesting. Um, I often quote this. Uh, I find it quite uh, intriguing how when they've They've rigged people up with um, little electrodes, galvanic skin response measurers, and they sent them shopping, and so uh, and uh, to test you know, when when is the moment of maximum excitement in the shopping experience. That uh, it's when um, you you might be surprised that the scientists do this kind of thing, but they do. <laughs> so measuring the 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 whole process of, of uh, desire and excitement, it's. When you know that you're going to get the desired object, it's like so. It's when you you hand over the money, or you actually got the, the money in your hand, or the the credit card in your hand, and the uh, the person behind the counter is is accepting it. Uh, so you're guaranteed to get the object of your desire, but it hasn't reached you yet. So that is the moment of maximum excitement when you actually get the thing that you desire. So, like when you actually get the piece of cake before you've eaten it, like that. That when you that that's already um, that uh, that moment of getting is already the beginning of the disappointment. It's the anticipation when you haven't quite got it yet, but you know you will. That's the moment of maximum excitement. And again, A. A. Milne, great philosopher of our age, Winnie the Pooh actually has this. Uh, the same observation it says when you've got the honey pot there and you've got the spoon and you know that the honey's in the pot and you're going to get it that's the best bit even before you've got the honey in your mouth so so that uh, this is bhava this is becoming and it just says that the buddha pointed out this is what, what the uh, the living beings are committed to becoming they they relish becoming they are uh, they uh, they only uh, they uh, adhere to that. That uh, that's the, in a way, the, the the drug of choice. We love that feeling because, in that point, life is very, very simple. <laughs> I want it. I'm going to get it. Yes. So, you might, some of you might be thinking, "Well, this is all very coarse." I mean, I'm totally beyond that kind of thing. This is, you know, cake and pots of honey. Pah. You know, this is very, you know, how. How sort of inferior, you know? I, I'm just, none of that kind of thing doesn't bother me in the slightest. But if we translate that into our own particular value system, like uh, looking to see whether your paper's been selected for publishing in the <laughs> prestigious journal, or uh, or um, looking to see whether you've got a a, a, a promotion, or or uh, the uh, uh, you know, any one of a, a dozen different uh, uh, different ways that we Sort of score. We rank ourselves in the in the world, or how we uh, we have our own particular desire objects. Um, the uh, the object, in a way, of of desire is is uh, secondary, but to uh, to the actual process of how it works. Because you know, all of us will have the uh, the, the particular things that are 
compelling to us and that the 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 whole process of desire or aversion negativity uh, where the mind uh, picks that up and gets carried away deeply absorbed into it and uh, so you know you can fill in fill in the blanks for yourself <laughs> whether it's uh, if pots of honey don't don't have any kind of uh, pull on you but um you know just to consider you know uh, look in uh, in your own mind your own memory you know what things really do like the achievements of your children or the um um the uh you know like the publication of your books or the the um uh the approval of your teacher you know when the if the ajahn smiles at you it <laughs> can be the sort of getting uh some kind of um uh, affirmation or, or or approval or, or of, of any kind it can be you know, wholesome or unwholesome but just in that that process the bhava is where the mind is is completely absorbed in that but it hasn't quite got the the object yet and then the, after bhava the next one is jati which is birth which means that's the the uh, the point of no return <laughs> So that now, okay, you've you've you purchased the item. Okay, now you've got it, and so um, then uh, then shortly after comes the bill, <laughs> and having got the the desired object, or if it's a negativity, you know, having wanted to to uh, vent your spleen and and complain uh, to, about someone or to get angry with them, and you you really let them have it, and while you're letting them have it, you're feeling great, like, you know, this this is, you know, he really had it coming and. And then afterwards, the 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 uh, after the the spleen has been vented, <laughs> and we've kind of unloaded on on somebody. Then there's the uh, the what follows after the 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 stage of jati is sokapariddeva dukkha domana upayasa, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. Like uh, as we have in the morning chanting. <laughs> So that is the um, having got what we wanted. Uh, then, uh, along with that, uh, having that condition, having been born, having come into being, then we get the whole package. We get the the, um, the all that comes along with that. So, um, then, uh, in in summary, what that means is that um, yeah, we get what we wanted, but then uh, we are. are Faced with the experience of well, that was really great, but <laughs> I want some more, or, or that uh, say with uh, with food, if you're particularly hungry or particularly inspired by the activities of the cooks here, doing a fantastic job, well done, cooks. <laughs> that uh, you think, oh, this is amazing, They're incredible, they've done my favourite. This is wonderful. This is marvellous, and the mind is getting so excited about this this wonderful dish that, uh, and you're getting so enthusiastic about it. Before you know it, you're staring at an empty plate. Oh, where did that go? Oh well, I better have seconds because I I was so excited about the first the first round that I missed it completely. So I better go and get some more. <laughs> so the uh, when the 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 experience of the Sokapari Deva Dukkha Domana Supayasa that sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. This is just that that uh, in in all sorts of different dimensions that feeling of of despondency you you got what you wanted but then it didn't really satisfy you or or it wore out or um 
it was so sweet at the beginning and then it, it turned into hard work and uh you thought it was going to be so great um but then you didn't realize you were going to get all of this with it you know to be you know getting um getting the new job or coming on the meditation retreat oh this is fantastic this is wonderful this is great oh oh dear right right knee pain how many days is this and and we don't get a day off halfway through or Oh dear. So that uh, whatever shape it takes, that whether it's subtle or coarse, that uh, that that dukkha feeling, the the sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. Again, we don't use that kind of language in ordinary everyday world, apart from in monasteries. <laughs> but uh, it's that feeling of disappointment, of desolation, of sadness, of of uh, incompleteness, that. Uh, sense of of a, a barrenness in the heart and uh, loneliness or um uh kind of unsatisfied insecure quality dukkha in other words so uh as you can see if that this this process is uh, uh mapped out in this way like ajahn chah said it's like dropping out of a tree you know it can happen very very fast from from yeah the 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 mind just sort of um being caught by a sense objects uh, the mind goes oh that looks interesting and then you know hope and then oh and then disappointment or or yeah i got it and oh, oh dear i wasn't going to eat any more cake I, i'm supposed to be the one on a diet <laughs> oh dear now i've taken this piece of cake and there's all these people sitting there sitting around me and i can't just take the cake and and sort of leave it there and Oh dear, <laughs> here we are again. <laughs> oh well, begin the diet tomorrow. Sokapari Deva Dukkha Domana Supayasa. So the whole thing can happen just in, literally in a finger snap, just like Lumpo Chao was pointing out, just like dropping out of a tree. So the, the usefulness of mapping things out in this way and seeing um, uh, how that, the process of of a disappointment or dissatisfaction or alienation works, or how that uh, takes shape, and and, and uh, we have this this kind of um, a multi-part sequence. And so we can, uh, in a in a sense, understand our own process of experience and learn how to not get caught in that, learn how not to to get lost or not to create the causes of that of that dukkha not to get um say wrapped up into that that cycle so there's different um elements of it there are different ways of of breaking free from this because it's this is called the bhava chakra or the cycle of of becoming or the cycle of rebirth because the usual way that um we deal with that experience of of incompleteness or loneliness or or, or sadness um that kind of mopey unhappiness is that as soon as the possibility of another gratification comes around, <laughs> right, we're we're onto it again. That's what happens. Is that this is why uh, we uh, we can uh, we call it the cycle of birth and death, or the, the cycle of endless becoming, because not realizing how it works, the you know, the last time that we were really happy, the last time we really felt satisfied, was when we were caught in that. That uh, the thrill of becoming, that kind of riding that wave, and so that then uh, that was really gratifying. And out of ignorance, when when uh, we're left in a sort of incomplete, lonely, 
uh, sad, uh, slightly sort of frazzled and insecure state, then when something pops into our view that has, that has the allure of satisfaction, oh, well, well, that one didn't work, but maybe. <laughs> yeah, that was disappointing, but you know, maybe the next one, maybe the next one, maybe the next one, so that we we leap towards the next possibility, the next promise, the next desire object, or the next um, you know thing to uh, that, that uh, has that uh, aura to it that says, oh, "Look, well, this is this one's different. This is going to be something else. This is going to be this is this is really going to work." <laughs> and uh, and around and around we go. That we uh, we we chase that next object. Uh, we uh, we pursue that particular goal, and it doesn't have to be things that are coarse or, or un- unwholesome. You know, it can be like the next meditation retreat, the next uh, uh, the 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 next kind of meditation cushion, the one that's going to enable you to, me to sit for hours without pain. I think they actually do do sort of uh, uh, meditation cushions that are impregnated with not exactly morphine, but you know, sort of <laughs> herbal forms of opiate or, or kind of steroid like they're like a they're a kind of a sort of organic form of steroid injection that uh, you know, softens your your joints and kind of sends a sort of balm up through your your aching limbs i'm not kidding i think that i've i've heard that such things are on the market yeah. pain-free zafus you know that, uh, and some of you might be thinking oh i'll have to look that up <laughs> I'll, as soon as I get back to my iPhone, I'll Google that and see if I can get one. You know, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. I'm not reading your minds, by the way. I'm just, <laughs> I'm fam- just familiar with human nature. You know, that, uh, this is how the mind works. So uh, it's not. It's irrespective of whether the the object is is very wholesome or or, uh, or unwholesome or. Or neutral, but just seeing this is how how it works that the we get uh, that the mind gets caught into these cycles of dependency, cycles of addiction. Yes, uh, and that and that the the teaching of the Buddha, what he's trying to do is to help us free the heart from this uh, addictive process. Just like I was saying that the the drug of the, the main form of addiction is to becoming the, the, this bhava chakra. That's like the cycle of becoming that. That's the drug of choice. That's what we we are all habituated to, with particular objects occupying that. Whether it's a um, you know, coarse sense pleasures, or whether it's um, you know, noble aspirations, or caring for your family. You know that uh, the um, in a way the the objects can can vary from the ones that are reasonably wholesome to ones that are da- downright destructive. But the, the process works in exactly the same way, ir- irrespective of the object. And if we don't understand how the process works, then we're inevitably trapped in that e- endless cycles of, of addiction. So the, the Buddha's teaching helps us to, to recognize that and to, to break free from it. And one of the, the interesting, um, uh, say, or say that the, maybe the first point, uh, exit point, to talk about or how to break free from the cycle is uh, interestingly enough is is at the point of dukkha itself at the, you've already arrived you know, you've sort of woken up <laughs> you've come to barefooted surrounded by broken glass thinking 
how did I get here? <laughs> I'm in the middle of this mess again. Now, now, how did I get into this? Now, now, what, what's happening here? And that that uh, the the Buddha said that suffering dukkha ripens in two ways. It either ripens in further suffering, like you just uh, keep repeating the cycles uh, over and over again, or you ask that question: How did I end up here? Yeah. <laughs> How did how did this happen? Yeah, I said I wasn't going to do this. I said I wasn't going to get caught in this again, and here I am again. Now, what happened there? Now, and 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 I know that there must be a way to get out of this. There must be some alternative because I've been going around and around on this this cycle for you know, countless years. Now, there has to be an alternative. So that feeling, that intuition in the heart, that there must be an alternative, like freedom from addiction, must be a possibility. Now that that's not a necessarily a logical reasoning, but it's more an intuition. And so that um, that very intuition is what the, the Buddha refers to as faith, sadha, that suffering can be a, a cause for for the arising of faith. That very intuition that. Hang on a minute. This th- this can't be the only possibility. Just getting caught again and again and again and going around and around, one thing after another after another, the same old thing. Now there has to be an alternative. Now you haven't figured out what the alternative is <laughs> or how to find it, but something in the heart says there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way to get free from this. So the Buddha points to that. That's that itself is faith. That's the so the suffering that you're experiencing is a cause for the arising of faith and then that faith then uh, is a cause for um, uh, for the sense of, of delight or, or gladness like yeah that's that's right there has to be a way and so then with that quality of gladness and, and brightening and the sense of possibility and potential that uh, yes I can break free of this you know, addictive habit um, that, uh, that then that brings about a, a kind of uh, relaxation. That uh, there's a, a calming of the of the of the body, and that eventually leads to a a, a, a whole substantial quality of contentment. The body relaxes, and the mind uh, arrives at a quality of of sukha or, or contentment. With contentment, then that is, becomes a, a basis for concentration. When the heart is content and at ease, then it's easy for the, the mind to focus on the present moment. When there is contentment, when there is sukha, there's a, the, that's a, a basis for samadhi. When there is samadhi, then that's a, a basis or that, that's a, a cause for the arising of, of insight. That when the mind is able to settle and attend to the present moment and is and is focused then naturally arising from that is uh, insight there's a, a knowledge and vision of of the way things are that uh, when we are able to attend to the present and we uh, and we are able to focus on that when we can see you know, the way that that things work when the, and then with the knowledge and vision of the way things are then that that leads to uh, a letting go, a, a non-attachment. Uh, the heart is no longer seeing that everything is impermanent and empty and uh, not self. Then the, the habits of, of attachment, identification, uh, are relinquished, and then with that letting go, that leads to to uh, to freedom and to to full uh, enlightenment, full liberation. So this is 
uh, a particular sutta where he describes this, and it's known as um, the uh, transcendent dependent arising. So it starts off with the the um, as uh, as usual with ignorance, and it goes through the whole sequence: um, sankara, vinyana, namarupa, salayatna, pasavedana, contact, feeling, uh, craving, clinging, becoming. Sokaparideva, dukkha, domana, supayasa, suffering. But then dukkha leads to sadha, leads to faith, and then it sort of breaks off into this whole other branch. <laughs> Rather than going around and around the cycle, dukkha leading to more more ignorance and then leading to uh, the, the continuing of the rebirth process. Rather, it spins off at that at the point of dukkha, and uh, that leads to faith and leads to to delight and to... Uh, to contentment and concentration and insight and and liberation and so forth. So that is a, 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 a in a way the most accessible of all exit points. Just uh, the the quality of suffering itself, the quality of dukkha. That that's one uh, point to to hop off the cycle. More more commonly, um, uh, uh, one of the most uh, uh, or the most regularly spoken of points at which to to break the cycle is in the link between feeling and craving between vedana and tanha so most of the um uh, of the meditation teachers when they're talking about dependent origination and how the whole process works they point to this as the, the weakest link um, because when the mind is just, uh, uh, say, able to focus on on feeling, there's still a, a capacity for uh, substantial mindfulness. That uh, there can be a, a clear and uh, an unconfused mindfulness with uh, with seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and the feeling—a pleasant feeling, painful feeling, neutral feeling. Um, but it's only when the mind is sort of chases after that and, and buys into trying to get rid of a painful feeling or trying to grasp hold of a, a pleasant feeling, that's when the confusion really kicks in. <laughs> and then the, the whole you know, craving, clinging, becoming, whoosh, you know, the, it's like the uh, up to the point of feeling, the train is still in the station and it's not moving. Feeling is like you can get on the train, get off the train, go and buy a few snacks, you know, go and look, you know, look through the uh, the news agents, pick up a newspaper. The train is still sitting there. You know, no problem. You can get on the train. You know, find your seat. Once uh, tanha kicks in, then the train has started moving. You can still get off the train. It's not moving too quickly, but then it picks up speed fairly rapidly. So upadana, then the train is really moving. By the time you get to bhava, the train is definitely in motion and pulling out the station. You can still get off, but it's going to be really uncomfortable. But uh, by the time you you, uh, you reach Jati, the train is under uh, is definitely underway, and the, the, there's no getting off the train. If you can picture that analogy. So when there's the realm of of feeling, then that's uh, that's the easiest point to break the cycle. You can you can see that there is a pleasant feeling, a painful feeling. The heart is not snagged in it, not not caught in it. So speaking of um, of trains, um, a number of years ago, I had a, a year of a, a sabbatical year in India, and um, so uh, we I, I'd been at uh, 
Abhayagiri Monastery in California. We'd opened it up in 1996, and uh, I was co-abbot there with Ajahn Pasno, and so um, we had an idea after the place had been open for seven years, we'd, we'd take it in turns to have a sabbatical year, so he, he suggested I go first, and so um, I ended up deciding to uh, visit the because uh, many times I've been invited to go to the Buddhist holy places, but always on short trips of a you know, couple of weeks or three weeks. And I had the idea that if I went to the holy places, I'd like to be able to be there for an extended period of time. So the sabbatical year was was um, offered, and so I thought I'll go to India, spend a year in India. So then I considered uh, having got this invite to go to India, spend a year there. So I thought, well, what would be a good theme for for meditation? What would be a good theme for practice in India? And I knew a lot of people who travel in India and and spent time there, and um, and so that uh, knowing that uh, it can be a very physically demanding place and also um, emotionally demanding, particularly if you're attached to schedules <laughs> and you're a Western rationalist conditioning, and if you're attached to physical comfort and predictability. And uh, and just a, a few years before, actually, in in this very in this very room, when uh, Master Master Hua, a Chinese uh, great Chinese monk, meditation master, had been visiting here, Ajahn Sajito was uh, was planning to go on a six month walking pilgrimage to all the Buddhist holy places in India. And um, we had a questions and answer session with Master Hua in this in this hall here. And uh, Ajahn Sajito, if I remember correctly, asked a question about some some subtle uh, aspect of, of the nature of samadhi, of, of the nature of samadhi, and Master Hua ignored his his question completely. Yeah, so Ajahn Sajito asked him something about samadhi and concentration, and, and Master Hua seemingly didn't uh, didn't respond to his question at all. But he said instead, "When you go to practice in the place of the Buddha, do not find fault with anyone or anything." So he didn't know that Ajahn Sajito was planning to go to India and, and walk a thousand miles on to the Buddhist holy places. But uh, Ajahn Sajito took that piece of advice. <laughs> and uh, since he was going to practice in the place of the Buddha, going to practice in India. And it actually, and it literally saved his life. So, um, uh, yeah, I I took that piece of advice as well. I say so. Well, my my uh, spiritual program, my my Dhamma practice program for India will be similarly to not find fault with anyone or anything. And so I thought, well, I know. I think also what would be a good theme, something really really simple. I think I'll, when I go to India, I'll spend a year meditating on feeling. I'll just make that my focus, just feeling, and uh, to um, because. Um, it's very easy for feeling to condition craving, <laughs> and uh, to go off into you know uh, uh, wanting to get rid of things that we dislike or wanting things to be different from the way they are. And so I thought uh, I'll just make it a year to reflect on feeling. So when, whenever feelings arise, I'll make it my effort just to notice the feeling and not get caught up in whether it's a pleasant one I want more of it or an, or an unpleasant one I want to get away from it. And so that was an extraordinarily helpful practice. Uh, I was uh, I wanted to keep it simple, and it was that was a wonderfully uh, helpful piece of of um, uh, of, uh, of guidance that that, that I got. And uh, 
because there you are on the station platform and then you are being told, you know, terribly sorry, sir. <laughs> Your train is delayed by 18 hours. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, this is the, um, well, we've been here six hours already feeling. And this is the, we've just been told it'll be another 18 hours before the train gets here feeling. That's what this feeling is. <laughs> so not allowing the mind to get into, but that's ridiculous. We've been here six, I mean, we've got tickets and, <laughs> and after all, they promised. And so this is the, uh, you've just been told it's going to be another 18 hours feeling. And that when you, you recognize it and, and just frame it in that way, then, oh, this is, it's, it's that feeling. This, this is what's happening here. This is a, that particular kind of, uh, of a, of a feeling. And so you, you're not letting the mind get caught into all the shoulds and shouldn'ts. Or another interesting one is, um, again, you go to the train station for the, for the eight o'clock train, and then you find that it's gone already. <laughs> and you say, um, well, we've got tickets for the, uh, you know, the ticketing system is very efficient in India nowadays. At, uh, Indian railways is very, it is really quite uh, wonderfully efficient, but it can't, Guarantee satisfaction at all times, <laughs> and so then going to the to the uh, the station, and you've got your your tickets uh, for the eight o'clock train, and you say, oh, oh, um, and you're, you're looking for the for the the platform and for the listing of it, and and you see that uh, it's listed as having already gone, and you, so you talk to someone at the station and say, well, um, we've got tickets for the eight o'clock train to to Mumbai, but uh, it says there it, it's gone already. Oh, yes, sir. Your train was preponed. <laughs> you say preponed. Yes, sir. It was preponed. It is gone already. <laughs> so, what what is pre? What do you mean preponed? <coughs> says, preponed. Preponed. Opposite of postponed. <laughs> it is gone already, sir. And that's it. Your train is gone. Like, oh, this is the oh! I've just discovered a new word. Feeling. <laughs> I didn't know there was a preponed. And if you look it up in the Oxford English Dictionary, it actually quotes the Indian Railways. It's, uh, it's in common usage. <laughs> the uh, in the, in India in Indian English, it's a uh, preponed. You don't find it very often in this country, but it is. So, so that. Uh, um, uh, as a very very helpful practice, and it was also as, as I was saying to some people to, earlier today, how yeah I realized that Lumpur Sumedho had been talking about the you know, the meditation on feeling in this way for years and years, and even though I'd heard him say it dozens of times, hundreds of times probably, I'd never really taken the trouble to apply it because the mind is always drawn into not just staying with the feeling, but um, adding on to it with all the shoulds and shouldn'ts and chasing after like. Uh, um, how it ought to be, or what I want to be, or I'm really glad that it's gone this way, and I'm, and he caught up in all of the implications and the the, the follow up to uh, to a feeling, but just to be able to to work with with the feeling that's present, so that you know, um, in a situation where um, somebody um, is very upset about something and uh, they are asking you to fix it. And you're feeling like, oh, I don't know what to do with this, and oh, gee, you know, you know, she's really, she's really unhappy, and uh, um, 
you know, well, what am I supposed to do about it? And the mind goes immediately into, oh, how can I fix this? Well, this person's really upset and is very unhappy, and and oh dear, they're they're asking me to to make it all right, and and we we immediately get caught into, I'm supposed to do something. What can I do? And <laughs> but if we just say, oh, this is the um, someone's uh, really upset and they're asking me to fix it feeling. That's what this is. <laughs> and uh, in a strange and mysterious way, when we rather than then uh, gloss over that if we just take the trouble to notice oh this is the um, oh dear they're asking me to fix it and I haven't got a clue what to do feeling then then as when you acknowledge that that's what's here then in a strange way you enable yourself to attune more completely to what's actually present and then you, that out of that attunement then uh, what is appropriate and, and helpful for the situation can can arise. While we're busy trying to figure things out, or just sort of reacting from memory and and uh, trying to uh, sort things out just with our, our thinking, we haven't noticed that that experience. We're we're already, already sort of caught up in the in the conceptual proliferations around it. So this is extremely helpful. So, like when you're standing in the queue, this is the this is the standing in the queue at lunchtime, trying not to think about that last piece of cake feeling. <laughs> or this is the sitting in the dhamma hall, wondering how long Ajahn Amaro's dhamma talk is going to be this evening feeling. <laughs> or, the, or this is the how on earth did he how on earth did he know I was thinking about that feeling. <laughs> So that it's bringing the attention to the actuality of what is present, and uh, by taking the trouble to do that, it, it can uh, it gives us a huge amount of space. Uh, the the quality of psychological space that uh, that is always present and always available, but we miss it because we get drawn into just trying to fix that feeling. Uh, there's a pleasant one, trying to keep hold of it and take advantage of it, or a, a painful, or difficult one. We're trying to fend it off, or or get away from it, or or, or uh, uh, sort it out, or explain it, but to simply be, bring our attention to what's here, uh, uh, what's present, then uh, we are able to uh, employ the qualities of, of uh, mindfulness and, and wisdom. Also, in this this area, um, I was reminded of a a, a dialogue between them. Um, uh, a very much beloved uh, elder Thai monk, uh, Lumpu Dun, who passed away a few years ago, who was, was uh, known as being an arahant. And um, he was uh, in his 90s, I think, at this time, uh, when this exchange happened. And he was in the hospital, I think. But I think it was the first time he'd ever been in hospital in his life, and he was about 92 or 93. And one of his um, disciples, was uh, an, an elderly disciple, was, was chatting with him and came to... To see him and and said, uh, you know, Lumpu, is it? Uh, you know, you might you might think this is rude of me to ask, but you know, do you do you still experience anger after all these years? And then uh, Lumpu Dun's reply was, oh, uh, and the the Thai for it was, I, I believe, was me Ao, which means yes, it's there, but I don't receive it, I don't accept it, and they had this kind of very matter of fact oh yeah it's there but the, like there's no place for it to land like uh, yeah the del the deliveries arrive but i don't sign for them you know <laughs> like return to sender 
and uh, and similarly um when uh, the, the Ajahn Chah was very um critical like, like just like Ajahn Buddhadasa of of fortune telling and um amulets and um all that kind of side of uh, sort of popular buddhism popular buddhism <laughs> Yeah, or sort of folk belief in in Thailand, and and uh, wouldn't really play along with that at all. But uh, and things like uh, palmistry, reading palms and astrology and such like, he he wouldn't um, give much time for at all. Uh, one day, this um, this fellow came to to visit the monastery, and he was a, a palmist, a palm reader, and uh, he was trying to get a look at Ajahn Chah, and he knew that Ajahn Chah was really anti this kind of thing, and but he was desperately trying to get a look at Ajahn Chah's hands, and he was trying to kind of, he was trying to sneak a look and and see if he could get a sense of what the lines were like on his hands, and eventually he he couldn't resist any longer, and he he went up to Ajahn Chah and said, "Lumpo, um, you know, you're probably going to be very." upset with me or critical but you know I'm, I'm a palmist and you know i'm really interested you know i've been you know i really admire you and i respect you a lot and but i just i can't resist asking you can i have a look at your hands please <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know in, and you can send me away if you like but you know i just i thought i had to ask because i've come all this way and so ajahn Chah gave him a, a good kind of working over for a few minutes and and uh, told him this was totally pointless and stupid, and this wasn't going to end his suffering for him. But then eventually said, "Okay," <laughs> sort of showed him his hands and said, "So, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, am I going to find a nice wife? You know, <laughs> or maybe I'll, maybe I'm going to win the lottery? You know?" And so he, uh, so he's usually putting out a few wisecracks like that. So the fellow looked at his hands and said, "Oh, ooh, said, oh, Lumpur, you know." The, this uh, you you have to forgive me for saying this, but you know this this line here this this says you have a lot of anger, and he said yes, but I don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, in that way that these these great beings have completely um, ended uh, uh, ignorance. That uh, the feeling can be there of, of aversion, negativity, but. There's no place for it to land. There's nothing for it to, to hang on to. So that the, that that feeling of aversion and anger could be there, but then there's 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 nobody signing for it. <laughs> there's no there's no uh, place for it to, to land. So that it's not giving rise to any kind of unwholesome uh, action or speech or anything anything negative from that. So that, uh, in the terms of a practice, uh, our practice here on this retreat, then this is something that's really helpful to do. Just try to to stay at the in the realm of feeling and watch as feeling tries to drift into craving. And, the, and there's a big difference between liking or not liking on the one hand, and wanting and not wanting. They're not the same thing. <laughs> so that we can we can hear something or, or feel something and say, I don't like that. To recognize, yeah, I don't like it. It's an ugly sound, or it's a painful feeling, but I don't have to contend against it. I don't have to to hate it. So that uh, dis- not not liking, disliking can be completely peaceful, or liking can be completely peaceful. But as soon as liking transmutes into wanting or or, or, or hating, then then there's a, a distortion there. You can't both be peaceful and hate at the same time. <laughs> That doesn't work, but you can dislike, 
you can uh, you like uh, with the pain in the body and the, the uh, aches and pains you can't uh, th there can be a, a clear sense of dislike as ow <laughs> but we can be at peace with that there can be a, a, a clear sense of ow i don't like that but no contention against it no no hatred towards it so that's a a, a prime opportunity and a really important area of the practice to develop to to see how that works and to, to see if you can stay in the realm of feeling because feeling is is innocent feeling is the is the, the there's no intrinsic confusion or a, alienation there it's a there can be a complete and comprehensive quality of clarity and peacefulness in relationship to feeling even painful emotions you know even like grief or sadness or feelings of loss that that it can even be painful emotions but you can be totally at peace with them yeah even the the buddha had expressed that kind of sadness you know when sariputta and moggallana had passed away then there's this very poignant moment in one of the suttas where the buddha says he looks around the assembly and he says it's as if the assembly is empty and now Sariputta and Moggallana have gone. As if there's, you know, the, there's there's a there's a, a huge gap. There's a, the assembly is empty now that the these great beings have have passed on. So even the Buddha could could experience that sense of, yeah, my friends have died. They're gone. They're not here anymore. But also he knew how not to make a problem of it. <laughs> it wasn't a, a there was no suffering on account of that. So the 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 last exit point that I will just mention very briefly, we don't need to go into it this evening, you'll be glad to hear, <laughs> is to just not let the whole thing begin in the first place. So that uh, to, uh, as avijja, uh, as the mind's trying to drift into uh, into ignorance, just trying to 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 wander off, just to, to notice that. When, when, as mindfulness starts to slip, then... <laughs> to to wake up to 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 not allow avijja to to come into being to to not let that um uh that kind of um dulling or um uh say that that's that uh, uh obscuration to arise just to, and this is something when the mind is very very clear and awake in meditation you can you can see that sort of pull towards the, the, the mind sort of being drawn towards a sound or a memory or a feeling and and it's almost like a, a, a sort of a, a tugging on your on your uh, on your body or on your your clothes like and you can feel the mind being drawn into wanting to attach to this or wanting to have an opinion about that or to remember this or absorb into a a, a like or a dislike and just seeing that that arising of avijja and just to to not let that happen to not let that complication arise just to to stay with the the quality of vijja just to to be that very knowing and then watching those urges those sort of the mind trying to lurch <laughs> lurching towards uh, uh, an opinion or a memory or a, or a sound and lurching towards avijja and just saying no 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 <laughs> and uh it's not allowing that uh, ignorance to arise. So that's the, you know, a sense that the primary, um, or the most the most subtle, but also the most complete way of, of breaking the cycle is just not to let the cycle arise in the first place.
So that is enough for this evening. That's all for these thoughts for consideration.